Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and this is 70 Millimeter, finally a podcast about movies. Each week, I'm joined by famous artist Danny Haas. When he starts to crawl up that wall, and it was almost like being in a, in a gospel church. I just wanted to put my hands in the air and just cheer this man on. It was a religious experience watching him. And writer, poet, Protolexis. I had my hands on my head and I was sobbing. As we discuss a recently watched movie. This episode, it's the epic war film 1917. Enjoy. Who, who knew that there, there was a craving, there was a yearning for a movie podcast that's never been done before. And we did it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, we sensed that out there. And we're doing it now. Right before we hit record, uh, Proto was trashing Little Women. Just off the record, just hounding it. Not true. Yeah. I Let me tell you something. <laughs> I adored Little Women starring Susan Sarandon, Nona <laughs> Ryder, and Claire Danes. I adored it. Did you ever read the book? No, I haven't read the book. And the, but too, you've seen like shame. every movie, every film iteration, apparently, no, of Little no, Women, though. No, That's what you're no, telling us. Fake news. Ever. What I saw was, this was like the go-to movie for me and my sisters growing up. I've seen the, uh, the 90s version of Little Women countless times. We would just like have it on. Um, and I love it. I recently watched it, I want to say last year, with my wife, Jenna. And she loved it as well. And I, it hasn't lost a step, as they say. We're going to get into the Oscar noms probably just in a few minutes. But Danny, you saw Little Women too, right? Didn't you? I uh, did. Is that a five star on Letterboxd for you? Yes, it is a. It's a. It would be a six star actually if I could. Wow. On Letterboxd, we need to get Matt on the line and tell him we need to add a six star. <laughs> Maybe um, only patrons can give a six star yeah, to movies. Yeah, I well, I haven't seen the '94 one. I have been told to watch it now, but um, I adored this movie. I really did. Mm. I loved from the beginning. The intro scene with the Christmas stuff got me like spoilers. So good. Not spoiling. It's just Christmas time. <laughs> Christmas happens but every year. Is Little Women the ultimate Christmas movie? Is it dethroning <laughs> Die Hard as the Christmas movie to watch? I, I hope so. God. It is a gorgeous a movie. I will say that. Yeah. It's Yeah, I mean, I loved it. The costumes are unreal. Like I could just take me take me there Disney. Can we get a <laughs> a Little Women ride at Disney World? Does anyone have any connections? <laughs> If only we had some kind of six degree connection yeah. to Disney. Yeah. That would be amazing. What would what, what um, would the ride be? You put on a gown and you walk down the beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Uh, the queue times for that ride are gonna be through through the roof. Four hour wait passes times. for those. God. Uh we, we just mentioned letterbox. We mentioned letterbox a ton during our pilot episode probably our favorite social media site it's where you can rate uh, movies you watch write a review it's like essentially a diary of your movie watching life so we're on there all the time um we actually connected with matt at letterboxd.com and he enjoyed the show thank god but we're actually 
doing something cool. So every week we're going to be able to give away a free year of Letterboxd Pro, a pro account. And Letterboxd is free in general. Um, but if you pay 20 bucks a year, you get no third-party ads. You can get like an all-time stats page for all your movies that you watch. A uh, yearly stats page based on like your reviews and stuff. And probably my favorite feature is like the easiest one where you just like look up a movie and see where it's streaming. And you can just like see if it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime. So props to Letterboxd for helping us out. So the only thing you have to do to like become eligible to get a free year of pro is just for now share our, you know, when like Danny's fancy art goes up on an Instagram post or mm. a, a tweet like that. Remember that art that Danny did last week for Abyss? Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Uh, all you have to do is share that post. So retweet it on Twitter. Um, put it in your IG story. So spread the word of the show using those posts. And then you are, uh, will randomly select someone that does that. And then you'll get a free year of Letterboxd Pro account. So thank you very much to Letterboxd. Hmm. One thing that was cool about that, the Pro, that I didn't realize was that you can see all the stats of your friends as well. So I was able to go to like mm-hmm. your page and just see, you know, what your, what your uh, all-time stats are. I thought that was kind of cool. What was your main takeaway from looking at my all-time stats? Uh, actually, I don't remember doing it. I mean, I know I did it, but it was more maybe like a glance. Yeah, no takeaways. I mean, everyone's everyone's number one actor is Samuel L. Jackson. I so. know. I was about to say that. <laughs> he's been he's in every Marvel movie, so he's like automatically the most watched actor of all time on mm. Letterboxd. I think I was during the beginning of the year, I looked at my like 2020 stats, and at that point. James Bond movies were 99% of what I watched. It was all just these like M was in there. Sean oh. Connery, uh, Money Penny was like my w- most viewed actress <laughs> of the year so far. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, yeah, mine boy. was uh, since I had just jumped into all the aliens, mine was Sigourney, which I couldn't be more happy oh. about. I love her. Sigourney, Sigourney is unbelievable yeah. in those movies. Yeah. Yeah, like I almost want us to do an alien movie just so you can do some Sigourney art. Oh, I, I do want to share too that um, we have a voicemail that people can call in. We have actually several to get to later in the show. Oh my god! I'm just gonna breaking Ooh. news. We have four voicemails to get to later <laughs> in the show. Okay. Do we want to get into the Oscar talk before we get into yeah. 1917? Yeah. Well, before we get into that 1917 clear winner for Oscar movies, you know, show spoilers. But 1917 is our is our movie of the episode, as you could tell by the title. Best picture. Let's just go right into it. Yeah. I have seen most. The only ones I haven't seen yet are Jojo Rabbit, Marriage Story, and Little Women. What's your pick, Danny, for best picture? Um, right now, if I had to pick, it would be Parasite. Wow. Yeah. I, um, I think, I think I would pick Parasite because, um, every one of these movies kind of feel like it has a history. Like there's like a, a type of movie. Like there's the Ford vs. Ferrari is the dad movie, the Irishman's the mob movie, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like Parasite kind of had a new, uh, mold it broke for, uh, best picture, especially mm. being, and a foreign language as well. Right. And I, I love that movie a lot. I had a, I had a blast. I've watched it twice now. Um, yeah, I think I would pick that. 
as much as I love Little Women and 1917, there was just something about Parasite that I would I would give it the win. Prado, what about you? Uh, I'm missing a bunch of these. Uh, what Danny said about Parasite, I really love that movie as well. I felt like that was like a, a unique experience that I had at the theater. So I really love that. But uh, there's a movie called 1917 mm-hmm. that struck a chord. Yeah. My innermost uh, loins that I don't think they've ever been touched, these chords. So I would have to go with 1917. And we'll get into it in love a it. bit. Very briefly. What I didn't realize is that loins have cords. I didn't even know that was medically possible. It was actually just discovered in 2020. <laughs> Loin cords. Oh, uh, boy. What about Once Upon a Time? Or uh, O-U-T-H, uh, as they call it on the streets. A lot uh, of love for that in our community, in our uh, letterbox community. Ian, producer Ian. Yeah, he loves it. that movie. That's I was pick, I, I was so happy to turn it off when I was finally Whoa. done with it. Holy smokes! Yeah. Can you say that about a QT? Yeah. I, don't know. Mm-hmm. I was quite wow. bored with that movie. Mm-hmm. I, I the performances are great, but man, I hated the story. I was I was just done with that movie, <laughs> and there, I felt like it went on forever. What did you give Joker? You gave Joker four stars, dude. I did. Um, Scandalous rating. Yeah, IMO. I think, I, yeah, I, I gave I gave Joker that for Joaquin's performance alone. I think the story was great, probably not the best. There's yeah, a lot that would have changed. You specifically told me you loved how they glorified mental Ill <laughs> oh, white men with guns. I think that's what you told me off air. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I look for in my movies. <laughs> Junk movie, get it out of here. Yeah, I, the I wouldn't. Have, I, you haven't seen. You haven't seen the Irishman, though. No, yet. I haven't. I haven't carved out a week to watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I'll. I will eventually. I don't. I don't. I really want to see it. I think it's the time that's holding me back at this point from watching it. Of the ones mm-hmm. I haven't seen, I want to see Joker the most because that's when I've talked to people who have seen it. It's been the most uh, polarizing mm-hmm. movie, I think, where I've mm-hmm. people have told me wow, you have to see this movie. It's amazing. Where other people say it's, you know, trash. So yeah. right. I'm really interested. And Joaquin. Joaquin. Yeah, he yeah, really probably. is incredible on in that. Yeah, I I agree that he'll, he should get best actor. Mm, um, but really? I, I haven't seen a few of the other ones. So I haven't seen Adam Driver's performance. I haven't seen The Two Popes. And I also haven't seen Pain and Glory with Antonio Banderas. He's nominated as well. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't see that either. I really wanted to see that. I would want Adam to win it, though. I think he's amazing in A Marriage Story. Uh, I haven't seen... So, Best Director, I don't know. It's, this, it's the same crop. I would probably... Sam Mendes, I would probably give it to. Um, I just feel like Todd Phillips just should not even be nominated. It, make, it makes me sick that he's nominated for this movie. <laughs> um, inside... <laughs> Uh, the Irishman. I don't. I don't understand why Martin's nominated. To be honest, either movie's like five hours long, and it's it's essentially Robert De Niro just meandering around <laughs> in an old man's body with a, a pseudo young man's face. Freaky. I mean, as much as I love Parasite, I feel like um, Greta should be winning this award, even though she's not nominated. She, she wasn't even nominated. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I strongly disagree with that, but we won't get into it. Oh. <laughs> we did. I mean, we're going through the Oscars. You know, everyone kind of does that every year. But I mean, the Green Book won last year for best film. So yeah. in my, I bring this up every... <laughs> I bring this up every time someone brings up the Oscars that it's a literal joke, in my opinion, that that movie was anywhere near nominated, let alone win. So yeah. I don't know who was in charge at the Oscars. I don't know who's running the show. But the same people second. that snubbed Greta. Yeah. Uh, best actress. I actually feel like a, a dumb dumb. I haven't seen any of the movies that these women are nominated for. So I really need to amp up my game. I was surprised by the nomination for uh, Bombshell because I didn't hear anybody talk about this movie. Yeah, I think I'm I sure s- Charlize is amazing, but I didn't. I didn't hear anybody talk about this movie. I saw the trailer, and yeah. I never saw anything about it afterwards. I'd never even heard of Judy until this list. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, Judy Garland is a famous actress. No, no, the the movie. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, Dad. No one has ever been gotten as hard as Proto was just gotten right there. Uh, I I am ashamed for not seeing Harriet. I really should have seen that in the theater. They looked really good. I'm sure Cynthia was amazing in it. Has ScarJo won before an Oscar? (laughs) She should have won for Under the Skin. Please don't. Please don't. Not with that. Oh, yeah. We had a big discussion in our our Slack about... uh, Tim, one of his favorite movies is Under the Skin, so we all went and watched it. A lot of divisive opinions on that movie as well. I might have to just like, would, put that on in the background right now. <laughs> I would rather watch O-U-A-T-I-H on repeat <laughs> than watch Under the Skin again. I Yeah, to be honest, I don't understand how that movie's nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Because it's about Hollywood, so everyone's just on, in the Oscar we, voting is just patting themselves on the back like, oh, yeah, if Quentin finally helping us Bird out here. Can I too. edit this wiki? Maybe I'll just get it out of there right now. <laughs> yeah. Just delete it off this wiki real quick. Oh, my God. You know, I was thinking about that earlier. I was going through a letterboxed list of movies we're going to be doing for the show. I really want to add Death Proof to our list. Mm. Um, the Kurt Russell led hmm. room he's like the freaky psycho i think it's on our Jason second Lowe's. have you seen it i saw it in theaters but i don't remember anything about it i remember a foot <laughs> specifically <laughs> like being on like a car door in frame for way too long uh yes. that's the only thing i remember any other categories we want to do uh uh well uh yeah real quick our queen florence she should win for supporting actress i think Florence Pugh. Oh, Lawrence, Florence Pugh for Little Women. Yeah, which I have not seen. She had a huge year yeah, last year, so I, I think she that. should win for this. She was great. We should also say that um, it's it's disgusting that Uncut Gems wasn't nominated mm, for Best Picture, I, yeah. and that Adam got shafted. Oh yeah, um, Adam, <laughs> the Sandman. <laughs> How about Julia Fox? We couldn't throw Julia in there for a. Uh, Best actress, best supporting. Yeah. Howie. Is there anything? <laughs> there's nothing uncut gems anywhere, huh? There's uh, not. It's not even touched. Is he even? It's almost as if like the Academy didn't even watch it. Are they even invited? Are they going to be there? I don't know. They should crash the party. Let's get it. Should we get into it? 1917. Sam. Mendes. Mendes. Uh, How do you say it? Mendes. I've heard it a I couple have no ways. idea. Sam M. 
We'll, we'll cut it in post. We'll sound right. Yeah. Whatever it is in post. Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes. Maybe producer Ian can uh, double check that for us. Actually, speaking of producer Ian, we might have some hip mm. uh, new music intro for this for this episode that you might have heard that we forgot to reference. He's been working out in the studio. Um, but as of as of recording, we haven't heard it yet. He's a treat. 1917 Sam uh, came out 2019. War epic. You might have seen it kind of pumped up as like a one take movie, one shot. It's like kind of filmed as one continuous shot. A one Roger Deakins, cinematographer. Legend. Uh, is it is it Proto's role to walk us through the uh, mm. outline of the movie now since he did it so well last week? Yeah, I like it. So we're done. All right, let's do it. All right, so 1917. Uh, the day is April sixth, 1917. And two British soldiers are tasked with an seemingly impossible mission. They have to deliver a message that will halt 1,600 men from walking into an ambush. Lance Corporal Blake's older brother is one of them. So the two soldiers is uh, Schofield and Blake. They're commissioned with this job. Uh, in order to do it, they have to travel through the front line and uh, go through enemy-occupied territory. They have... Uh, I could, I, it's hard to figure out how much time they have, but it's less than 24 hours um, to do it. And as soon as they get the orders, they have to leave right away. And the rest of the film is pretty much them facing surreal obstacles that only the great war could have produced. I, I think they had a, around eight hours to deliver the message, maybe like six to eight hours. You think so? Because like, so April, when they get the orders, it's still daylight. Oh yeah. I guess you're right. Because then when he, when he's like, uh, when he sees the sun them, is coming up. Yeah. The much. sun's coming up. So I guess you're right. If that's like April, uh, it's like four o'clock or so. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably it's probably less than twelve hours. There was like a lot of buzz around nineteen seventeen, real late. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, whatever. It reminded me of like Dunkirk. Like I had zero desire to see Dunkirk. I was like, I don't care. And then when I heard that it was like war movie, and you see the trailer, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I probably won't see it. But then like once it came out, it came out pretty late in the year. Um. I started seeing people like say that this is probably the best movie I've seen all year. I'm like, what? Like, what's going on? Is this real? Um, and then I think we started seeing some of our letterbox bros, letter boys. <laughs> letter boys. <laughs> so stupid. You can't um, that. Start, <laughs> start reviewing it. So we started seeing it in the letterbox feed, like four stars, five stars. And I was like, oh God, I need yeah. to see this. So at least when I first saw it at a local showing, I was like literally stunned, like absolutely stunned by what I took in in that theater. And it starts out super slow where I was actually still kind of like, I don't get it. You know, when's it going to start cooking here? And the one take stuff like didn't take away from it at all for me. I just felt totally engrossed. It's almost like you're in a real life situation and you're just following these two guys doing this right. for the whole time. Um, and you're just like silently with them. And 
it starts to pick up around maybe 15 minutes into it. Like it starts hitting the gas and it doesn't let up. And it's not even just like the physicality of the movie, but it's like the emotional weight that also just starts snowballing during the entire movie. And by the end of it, I was just like openly, and we're going to get into spoiler stuff here. Um, There's not a ton to spoil necessarily, but like, if you want to skip ahead, you can check the timestamps in the show notes. But like when it finally gets to the moment where he, that you see in the trailer of Mm. him running through the battlefield, I thought that scene was going to be spoiled for me, but it absolutely wasn't like it, it builds up so well that that scene becomes new to you because you Mm. have the entire backstory of the movie, the emotional backstory, and he makes the decision to run through that battlefield. I was like sobbing in the theater. And then at the end of the movie, I turned to my wife, man, I was like, that was amazing. And I don't think I remember ever saying that to my wife after we saw a movie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. When I saw, um, when you saw so many images on Twitter and stuff of the making of that scene and the running of that scene. And I really thought that uh, every time I kept thinking about when's this scene coming up, I had no idea what to expect. And the weight of that scene was really on it at the end, which was great because um, it gave me the chills, especially with George's performance, right, George? Uh, George McKay, I think he was an amazing choice for this movie. I think he did a brilliant job. It was almost like um, watching an old silent actor, I guess you could say, because of how little dialogue there was, especially after uh, Blake dies. Mm. Uh, there's so much, I mean, I guess the military is there to pick him up oddly right after Blake dies, but, um, yeah, I really love George in this movie, especially, especially towards the end. I think he puts off a really amazing performance. Uh, kind of wish he was a nominator for something about it. Yeah. You're so right about that, that scene. Um, I was so immersed in this movie mm-hmm from the get-go and when i heard when i heard it was going to be a single take i almost like wrote the movie off as this is a gimmick anything Mm -hmm. that i've seen you know a movie where they have a a single take and it's like five or ten minutes long it always feels like okay that's cool but it's kind of like someone just showing off so i thought like this is a whole movie of someone showing off like that they can do a single take like that was my thought so uh, going into it but like like you were saying, Slim, once people were giving it five stars, I was like, all right, let me see this. But I I I felt like I was looking through a window into the past watching this movie. I yeah. felt like I was there. And mm. it didn't really break that immersion until like twenty or thirty minutes in, um, where there was a scene where I was it kind of reminded me like, oh, wait, I'm watching a movie. It kind of felt like it moved from one set to another. But up until that point, it, it, didn't, it didn't stop. And then it like really continued. And having that feeling that you're there, um, I, I, I felt like I was reacting to how the characters would react in those scenes. Like when he's running through the city of Acoust, um at night, and they're shooting at him. Oh my god! I was thinking about just the the adrenaline that would be pumping through his veins in that moment. I felt like tense in a, in a way, and not just like a like a movie way, but like in a different, like a, a very like uh, uh, just yeah, just like I was there. So like at that scene at the end where he's running through, like anything you see in the trailer, 
uh, it, it didn't feel like anything was spoiled because you, you, watching the trailer, I'm just seeing scenes. But like when I'm watching the movie, I was like, You're immersed it, yeah, I'm immersed in it. in it in a way that um, I really I can't remember a movie. You know, I don't want to sign hyperbolic with this movie, but I can't remember a movie that made me feel that way where I was mm-hmm. so inside of it while watching it. The scene where Blake gets killed and I like when I saw the trailer and then the movie started, I was like, man, I don't remember seeing Blake all a lot in that trailer. I wonder what <laughs> happens. <laughs> and then sure enough, um, they come upon this farm where there's also a nice a little mini story because they have to fill time. They're walking a lot. And they fill time with these little mini stories like Blake grew up on a, a piece of land that had these certain kind of trees that they stumble upon that have been chopped down. So he tells a story. But as this happened, there's a dog fight um, happening and a plane crashes into this barn and it is a German soldier. And he's like kind of on fire in the wreckage. So Blake runs over, pulls him out and drags his like, you know, body out and his legs are like all charred up. And he yells to Sko to get water. So then the camera follows um, him to get the water and leaves those two. And then you hear a struggle and the camera quick pans around and Blake's been stabbed. And so uh, yeah, Schofield shoots the soldier and then he goes over to to Blake who's like, you know, has this huge gash in his stomach. Mm. And that scene just felt like really uncomfortable because it's not, you know, it's not a cinematic someone gets stabbed and then like croaks. You know, it's like 90 seconds of Blake in agony, unable to move. And he's your guy. He was supposed to be your guide to find this, uh, this, um, this location to stop the soldiers from going in and into the trap. So now you're kind of like, Oh crap. Blake was the one who, with the compass skills, how's now, now it's all up to Schofield and he keeps trying to pick him up and he's just screaming in pain. Like you never, you don't usually see that kind of scene. It's like cut differently for a film but it's just all there for 90 seconds at two minutes. Um, and that was one of those like weird immersion scenes that I felt as well. Yeah. You even see the color of Blake drain throughout that mm-hmm. scene. Like he looks normal, but by the end of the scene, he's like sheet white. And there's that moment yeah. where he like passes out for like five seconds and then he comes to, and he's like, what happened to me? And you can just tell that he's going through shock and just seeing someone die like that. Like you're, you really watch like his death from the moment he stabbed to the moment his heart stops. It was really like I you started to go through the motions because I got like pissed. Like, man, why did you pull that Nazi out of the freaking airplane? Just like sh- you know, <laughs> let him burn alive. <laughs> he was to a death. Nazi yet? <laughs> okay, yeah, true. Worst case, I know you're you're in war, Blake. Like, come on, you don't show this guy mercy that you're trying to murder otherwise. Yeah. And I started to get like real pissed, honestly, at Blake at that point. Um, and which we'll get to later, but like Sko also shows mercy to a soldier too, but it ends up working differently. Yeah. And I think to, uh, Proto's point, when we watch him die, that's what the, that's what the whole setup really is coming into that. We have this one shot take and it's really make forcing us to understand, uh, time and how it works in real time in a movie. And so when we get to his death, we have to watch him fully die like there's no there's no cuts there's no cutbacks we can't just edit this scene differently we have to watch this man bleed out and die because this is how this story is being told and i think that's a pretty wild thing to see 
And all the lead up to that is what's, what has allowed that to happen. Yeah, I went to go see it a second time and there was, I, I wanted to pay closer attention to the chop tree scene just because yeah. I like barely even remembered it. But he tells a story about how that certain kind of tree, um, about how there are so many different kinds and that the Nazis chopping them down will just bring more of them. Oh, it was like a almost kind of like very clear parallel to the war. Um, but the scene after this, you know, like right, right as this happens and he's like pulling his dead body, his, another troop kind of comes up to him, like out of nowhere, they're like driving by and like stumble upon him. And they say, we can take you kind of closer to where you need to go. Uh, but then the rest is on foot. And another amazing usage of the time passing is just him getting into the back of this truck with other soldiers. And he's still kind of numb and not even grieving yet because it just happened. He's just kind of like keeping to himself while these other younger soldiers are joking around about the war and their situations, trying to make fun of each other. And he's still just like lost. Like he's not really there. He's just looking past everything. And the truck gets stuck and he realizes that like, this is just gonna cost him time. So he like orders everyone to get out and push the truck out of the mud and it doesn't work for several times, but his, grieving then starts here almost or like his reaction to the death kind of happens mm -hmm. and he's like yelling to push the truck he's screaming as hard as he as he pushes i thought that was just brilliant brilliantly done uh in that scene just amazing please i have to go now please well come on lad. come on Come on, boys. One, two, three. Come on, boys. One last push, yeah? One, two, three. Yeah, that was, I, uh, I cried four or five times during this movie and that was actually the first time I cried because like, you're, you're so right. When he is pushing the truck, he gets everyone out and they're all, and he, the final time when they get it out and he, and he gets everyone to, to push it with him, like he lets out like this scream and like this yeah. tension inside of him. And you know, it's, it's part of him like screaming that he wants to do this for Blake more than anything now and it's it's tied to like him moving this truck at the same mm. time and even when yeah. he's when he's talking to these soldiers like all he says is like please i have to go and they all kind of like take a moment and like look at each other and you can tell that they know that there's something of like the utmost importance for him in, th in this moment mm. yeah it, it's just like it's such a beautiful scene and they're just pushing yeah. a truck <laughs> Yeah, and I felt like a lot of that scream was his anger at Blake's death. And I think mm. he felt the weight of uh, his um, error in leaving Blake alone with that soldier. I think uh, mm. that's how I took it. I took it as this was him letting out his frustration, his anger, and on top of being stuck in a truck with, in mud with people who aren't taking the war as seriously as it actually is. And it became really real for him. 
And uh, I, I, yeah, I agree. That scene is amazing. And I think that is the first, I mean, Blake's death is rough, but I think that is the first time we see like this emotion from Schofield and uh, it's fascinating. And I think we should probably talk about too, how when you're watching this movie for the first time, you don't really get an insight into his character, Schofield's character. Yeah. Um, And like early on in the movie, he's like, man, why did you pick me for this? Like he's, and then Blake's like, I didn't know this is what we're doing. And earlier, and then a little bit after that, um, Blake asks Schofield, like, what happened to the medal that you got for that battle? Like, what did you do with that? And Schofield's like, I, I gave it away. Like I traded it with a French soldier for some wine or something. Um, and it was, he eventually told Blake um, that he went back home and he hated it because his family, he, he doesn't refer to who his family is, but he, they, they knew I couldn't stay. And it was just a brief reminder that they may never see him again. It was almost kind of like a tease that like I could die at any point and this is it for us. And he never really alludes to who his family is. But then later at the end of the movie, I don't mean to jump to it, but just it paints these scenes a lot differently. Mm. And he, you, you find out that he has two daughters and he has a wife, but he, it's never brought up in the entire movie. So having going through all these scenes, it, it's got to be just so um, angry for him to be like, God dang it. Like, I am so fucked here. I have to get back to my wife and daughters. And now I have mm-hmm. to do this by myself because he pulled that Nazi out. Yeah. And earlier in the movie, you see like when they hit that bomb underneath the fort and he almost died there. But like, And that's where he says like, man, why did you pick me for this? It's just such a, another added level of emotion for Sko to have to go through all of this and by himself and save 16, was it 1600 soldiers while he has a family at home and he just really just wanted to get back to them. Like he's so screwed. It's just, you don't even find that out until the last scene of the movie, which is, it's, it's, it was insane to me that reveal at the end of the movie. But you're so right about that. Now that you say that, just thinking like, I wonder if he even being on the truck, like those other soldiers kind of talked the way Blake was talking, you know, like they're telling jokes Mm. and like, and funny stories. And, um, and even earlier on, uh, uh, Schofield tells Blake that like, you weren't there, you weren't on the front line. So it seems like Schofield has much more experience than Blake. So even like the idea of saving a German, like pulling them out of an airplane, Schofield's like, there's no way I would do that. But Blake hasn't mm-hmm. seen enough to know better, you know, to right. do that. From here, he, this is like when you get, when he gets to that city that you mentioned, he's walking and he, there's this amazing shot that even Amanda was like, how did they film this? It was when he's like trying to cross that bridge over the water and the camera just like eloquently follows his mm. steps and then gets like on the bridge with him. And then a sniper shoots at him and he has to scramble and, and try to get to this tower. And then he gets shot um, and falls backward and wakes up a few hours later. It's nighttime. And then he walks through, which is like the, the cinematic f- scene of the year for me. Mm. Is when he's walking through this town as the flares are going over. I mean, like, I it's like you can't even compare this scene, in my opinion. I haven't seen everything, but like, it's not even close to how beautiful and how perfect this scene is when he's walking through that town as the flares are going over. It was insane. Okay. Yeah, that that scene. Uh, I feel like that shows just the 
this how surreal war can be and how insane like of an environment like you couldn't like you couldn't imagine something like that you know in just normal life like it, it, it was it, it's like unbelievable that you would stumble across something like this you would just think like that's that's not real. I remember I uh, there's this really popular podcast, Hardcore History, and he did a series, uh, the host, Dan Carlin, he does like these crazy long series about different things. And he does one about uh, World War One, And he talked about some of like the crazy stuff in the war. And one of the things he talked about was the giant craters that existed during the war where he would say, you know, they're like, you know, they're like 100 feet deep. And, you know, like 200 feet wide. And I'm just, I remember thinking like, I can't even imagine a battlefield like that. And the fact that you actually get to see that in this movie, like you're like, what kind of shell makes a hole like that? You know, but then you see it, like it doesn't even seem real, like that's possible. And then the, that whole city of Akust, the way it's just demolished with the flares, it's, it's amazingly beautiful how they shoot it. But it, but it's also just like devastation, like this whole city that where people lived in France, you know, their whole lives. It was just probably, you know, full of thousands of people is now just rubble. It's, is amazing. I was reading a couple reviews about this and I had thought about it sort of not, not as in depth, but people were talking about how, um, how this scene was, uh, sort of metaphorically him ascending into hell and then pulling himself back up, crossing the river sticks, you know, and then mm. finding the land of the living again, which is the, uh, the troops singing in the forest, which was another beautiful scene. Um, so like, it's when he gets sh- like there, and I'm not one to talk about acts in movies. Uh, cause I, I like to rag on that a little bit, but I do feel like there's a definite split and it's when they actually cut the film. That's very obvious. So when he gets shot, I mean, you go from the beginning, it's, day to night and then that the shot happens and it's night to day again and so i feel like uh i do agree with this idea that it shows him like really needing to pull himself out of this pit of hell and the the buildings on fire uh getting shot at and all that kind of him running uh through that city is easily one of the my favorite scenes i've ever seen in film i do agree with you guys on that it's it's fascinating but I, I do like that metaphorical type idea that um, he like has to pull himself out of hell. You linked us to that making of for that scene. Oh, where they yeah. had those like pipes. Yeah, I could watch the <laughs> rubble with the flares. Yeah, it was wild. And just to watch them, you know, lay that out—the miles and miles of trenches they had to dig, and uh, how to even practice lighting that scene—it's. It's unreal, and it deserves all the awards. Mm-hmm. Since uh, Danny brought it up, there was something I really wanted to talk about uh, that I noticed in this movie. Uh, it's a it's a literary device that's used in it that you don't really see that often, but uh, I read about it in when I was at university, and it kind of stuck with me. So it's something I always look for, uh, and it's actually it's called a, a chiasmus. It's like a Greek term. And it's a it's like a narrative structure where the a climax of a story actually happens at the center, and then everything that happens before that is then mirrored or repeated on the other way down. 
so that like the most important so rather than having like the climax at the end and then like a denouement at the afterwards it happens at the at the middle so the most important thing is at the middle and both sides of the story um, reflect each other and if you actually look at the scenes it's actually structured structured that way so i won't like mention all of them but i kind of wanted to mm. just like like look at the outline of the story and how how it's very clear once you write it down um so like the movie starts with them sitting at a tree the movie ends with them sitting at a tree and uh, uh blake talks about when they're walking there he talks about maybe getting a medal but when Schofield delivers the orders, he's told really just to F off. So kind of the, the opposite thing happens to him. Um, so at, then uh, at the beginning of the movie, they get the orders from the general. At the end of the movie, they give the orders to the, to the, mm-hmm. the colonel. Um, then they go in the beginning, they go through the front line. Uh, at the end, he's running through the front line. Then they go through uh, no man's land and then they encounter at the end of the movie, they encounter all the, uh, the soldiers, um, in the forest. And then really, if you think about it in, in a, in a sense, uh, Schofield has two metaphorical deaths death. So in the one he's, he's buried alive in the tunnel. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, he's submerged and almost drowns in the river. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, he encounters mm. the trees being cut down. Uh, at the at the latter half of the movie, he he sees the cherry trees uh, leaves in the water. Uh, then they get to the farmhouse, and he he gets the milk, uh, and then later he gives the milk to the baby. Uh, his he sees his friend stabbed, and then he holds his friend in his arms. At the latter half of the movie. He uh, he almost is stabbed by a German, but then he chokes the German and watches him die as he's on top of him. And then the movie, you know, you come to the middle and they have the fade to black moment. But then also he walks into the middle of the town and the he encounters the burning building or it's just like oh, a yeah. raging inferno. And then he sees like a figure uh, across the way. And I. And like you can make of it what you want, but I, in some way, I almost felt like he was like seeing himself, like but on the mm. other side of this war. Like there's people on the German side who are just soldiers who have like wives and families to get home to as well, and like that's him. But then as soon as like that soldier starts running after him and chasing him and shooting him, like the second half of the movie starts. And I just thought like that it's like the the fact that the movie is structured that way, like it doesn't necessarily have to mean anything, but just like on an abstract level, it's beautiful. Proto, if I wasn't <laughs> married right now, <laughs> Proto about to uh, start teaching like film My uh, narrative two hundred one right now at the local community college. Thank you for that. Was that in your letterbox review? I don't remember reading that no, in your letterbox. I, I actually didn't put it in there because I wanted to like think Too through highbrow? it. I wanted to think through it some more. <laughs> uh, and I didn't want to spoil it. I wanted to keep it for the show. But, oh yeah. my God. Amazing. We haven't even really called out Deacons that much. But I mean, the cinematography in this movie is obviously stunning. I mean, even when he first walks into that city and sees the burning building, it's almost like Blade Runner 2-esque. 
just the kind of vibe yeah. from the orange glow. There's a there's a ton of other just shots that I wrote down in the second viewing when he's inside the house. Uh, originally when Blake gets stabbed and Blake is on the outside, he's on the inside in the darkness, Blake's on the outside. There's just so many beautiful shots. It's not even close like any other movie with this cinematography. And I remember reading various other interviews that Deakins was involved in a lot of the just kind of like set design and planning. I guess even that making up the Danny Lincoln suit, everyone was saying how much work is involved in this kind of a film. From there, we go, you know, he he has that fight scene that you talked about and then he gets in the water um, and he crawls out of the corpse. At this point, he's like literally exhausted. He's running on fumes and he finds the troops. They're singing in that, in that forest. And then he rests at the tree, um, but his job's not done yet. And he kind of like gets snapped out of it by these soldiers. And then that's where the big uh, scene happens where he's running down the front lines, looking for the, the Colonel um, to tell them that to stop. And he realizes the only way he can get to the colonel is to get actually on the battlefield to save time to get to his little hut. And that's where the, the magic happens. I wanted to stand up out of my seat <laughs> when he starts to crawl up that wall. And it was almost like being in a, in a gospel church. I just wanted to put my hands in the air and just cheer this man on. It was a religious experience. God, it totally. You him. could see it in his eyes. Like his thought process oh. is like the only way I'm going to save anyone is if I yeah. get on this battlefield right now. And the how about the moment where he like crawls up mm-hmm. and then looks back and oh. that one captain or corporal is like, like "No, don't you think don't you do that? Don't you get on that field?" And then he he yeah. does. God, I, that scene is tremendous. What? Where is Colonel McKenzie? He's further up the line! How far? 300 yards, he's in a cut and cover! You'll have to wait until the first wave goes over! No! No, I can't! The second he does, that mortar hits right behind him. And it is like, <laughs> I can't get over that scene. I could watch that all day long. Yeah, and it's like every other soldier there is just cowering, like in the trench, trying to hide. And he's on yeah. this mission, like standing up. You know, and I love the look of him when he has the realization that, like, the only way I'm going to get there in time is if I run across, you know, out in the open. Um, Oh, man, it's it's so good, and, and just to think that, like, if he doesn't do it, all these men are going to be dead anyway. You know, mm-hmm. he's probably going to be dead anyway. He, it's almost like he's he sees himself as dead already, like he's a dead man walking, so he has nothing to lose. Uh, 
Uh, and he just, oh yeah, it's, it's an amazing scene. As the scene that really um, moved me to the point where I've, I've never had this reaction in a movie, <laughs> but I was, I had my hands on my head and I was sobbing when he crawls out of the river and he, and he's like weeping and he looks up and at first, like you don't, you don't hear what he hears and he slowly, you know, starts walking and then you hear the voice of him singing. And I was just like transfixed by like this idea of like everything that he went through, like his friend has died. He is like, he see this city like, destroyed and on fire and he saw this woman and this child who he'll never see again and he has no idea if they live or die you know he's chased he almost drowns he comes out of it and then he hears this angelic voice singing this song about crossing the jordan like as it like all these men in this like group like realizing that they're probably all gonna die you know, they're, this, this song is beautiful, but it's almost like it's, it's helping them ex- accept the fact that their lives are over. Like you've been called to duty, but when you die, you're going to be in a better place. You'll see your mother and your father and those who have gone before you and there, there's nothing to worry about. And that's the song that he hears. I tried finding that song. I couldn't find it like on the official, the official soundtrack, or I must've been looking in the wrong place, but I, I the reaction I had to that, I, I, Again, like the immersion of feeling like you're there. I felt like I was feeling everything he was experiencing in that moment. I'm traveling through this world of woe. Yet there's no sickness, toil, nor danger. In that bright land to which I go. How many times do you think they filmed these scenes? They talked about during this, like the cloudy moments where they would just rehearse during that time. Like, let's run another rehearsal scene. But like, even, God, I just, it just blows my mind. Like the actual background filming process for that. Even the, the big scene where he's on the battlefield. How many times were they capable of filming that? Like, cause once, was it just, just once? once? Oh my yeah. God. I love this. I love the parts where he ended up running into the soldiers and he oh, had to like yeah. start booking it at like three X. He's like, I got to catch up. <laughs> I got to catch up to this truck that's filling yeah. me. The two guys that run into him were not supposed to oh, run into him. What? That oh, knock him down. God. Both, both, both people. Yeah. I read a whole thing about it. <laughs> both people that ran him over. Uh, it was a, it was a mistake. And, uh, Sam had said in an interview that uh, George knew that he had to make this scene work. And that's when you see Drunk him like yeah. sprint. And he said that he had to cut out um, George dropping the F-bomb when he got <laughs> ran over once. Because he just said, you know, just dropped the biggest F when he got trucked. But yeah, that scene, there was no well, coming back so after well that scene. Because it, it looks so yeah. natural. That would happen. <laughs> yeah. And it really was 200 extras mm. running. There was no CG, no added, no added men in that. It was all, uh, it was all mm. extras. And after that, he finally sees Cumberbund, Cumberbatch, the, who is the colonel. 
Listen, don't he's make fine. fun of him, please. He's, he's fine. Um, and he remembers that he's, his job actually isn't done yet. You know, I said I would find hmm. Blake's brother. Um, so he goes on the hunt to see if he's like in the infirmary and in surgery, whatever. And he remembers that he like looks, I think uh, Blake described him. He looks just like me, um, but maybe bigger or something like that. And he finally does come across them. And you have this scene where he needs to tell Blake's brother, you know, that he died. I came here with your brother. Um, you know, he didn't make it. He was killed. And this is another beautiful scene. But the way this film is shot, I was really struck by the second time I saw it. It was all filmed, you know, obviously one take. I feel like you can say like a oh, one, one take movie. But like so many of these moments are filmed from a perspective that is just vastly different than any other movie you see in theaters. You don't see things from two different perspectives, three perspectives. It's all from behind uh, Schofield at this point. The camera is just on Blake's brother the entire time as he's given this news of what just transpired. And even when he's done getting the news, Sco turns around and then changes his mind and tells him, you know, he, you know, he was a great man. He saved my life. If, if you don't mind, I'd like to write to your mother. Um, and just, it's all one shot. Like, that's just right away. Like, it, I was just so glued to the moment because you don't see that ever unless you're like in a theater seeing a play on stage. It was just beautiful. Yeah. And I felt like in that moment, that shot made us become uh, Schofield. We were the ones delivering mm -hmm. the news. And so we got to watch um, how uh, the brother was going to react from Schofield's perspective. And I really mm -hmm. loved that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You don't even see Schofield's face. You don't see it at all. And it speaks to what we we're talking about earlier. Like you're there with them on this entire journey as kind of like a silent observer and um, maybe no more than that scene. Yeah, that was beautiful how he he kind of gives him the news and he kind of gives him just like what happened. And Blake kind of responds like, you know, uh, you should go get yourself checked out, get something to eat. But you can tell that he's like holding it in because it's not just another soldier. It's his brother and Schofield walks away. But then he's it almost like it's such a like a human moment because you're thinking like Schofield, you can't you got to say something else like his brother's dead. Like yeah. say yeah. something, give him something. Um, and then, you know, he turns around and, and, and he, and he kind of gives him like an anecdote of just like how he was a good man and saved his life because you think afterwards, like you would want to know what happened to him. And Schofield's the only one that's going to know what happened to your brother. Mm -hmm. uh, I just thought that was a beautiful moment, how he kind of, he stepped out of being a soldier and he was, and he just kind of became like, you know, his, his brother's friend. Um, and then after that, he realizes his job is officially done and he kind of meanders over to this, I mean, another amazing shot of this tree in the distance and he slowly walks over to it, rests at the tree, just like the movie started and takes out this um, canister that he almost that he opened earlier in the movie, but you couldn't see what was inside of it. And it reveals to his two daughters and his wife. And I think the note was, you know, please come home. Come back um, to us. Please come back, mm -hmm. come back to us. And, and then the movie ends on that shot. Like, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I just can't believe it. Like, this is a love fest. And like the last, we said we yeah. differ on so many movies. We You heard a little bit about it during the Oscar stuff where we uh, differ on a ton of other movies. Banter. Um but there's, this movie is special. There's something special about this movie. Um, 
it's hard to describe. If you haven't seen it, go see it. You'll still don't worry about mm-hmm. what you know now. It's a totally different experience having to just sit there for 90 minutes, two hours and and live it. Yeah. And I think the biggest takeaway for me was I really felt, um, I think it was the first time watching a war movie where I really felt what war could be like. I feel like it's such a distant thought for most of us uh, nowadays and what this World War One was about. And, you know, so many, I don't even know if many people are still alive that fought in it. Um, but uh, it really made me feel how heavy war is and what it was to be in it and the humanity of it. And uh, it it was, it felt good. Like I really like to feel that because I feel like I take it for granted a lot of times. Uh, yeah. We think we all gave five stars. Um, I do want to quick mm-hmm. scan through some of our, um, our network of people. Proto's first line, 20 minutes in, and I was convinced this was a masterpiece. Um, yes. Let's see, Junkie Penguin, fam, who we have a letter from, we're going to read a little bit. This movie is like watching an orchestra that starts with a melodic pace and ends with a thunderous crescendo. Oh Matt my. H.H., this is what cinema is made for. Um, Dave G., it's been a long time since I was captivated and also where two hours felt like 45 minutes. Producer Ian, Roger Deakins is a god. The god. <laughs> Four stars. Um, Art, our dear friend Art, this movie is a marvel to watch and I recommend seeing it on the big screen if you can. So there you have it. Our dear friend Dale wants to watch it. <laughs> you know, funny you mentioned Dale. Uh, we actually just got a voicemail from <gasps> Dale. Hot over the wire. What you can segment. give us a voicemail. Uh, 267-409-6983. Don't forget, if you wanted to get a, a pro account on Letterboxd, uh, feel free to get a chance to win that. Um, share the show post on Twitter and on IG. Let me pull up Dale's uh, voicemail here. I haven't listened to the, any of these. Fair warning. Oh, I like how going into that. AS70MM Otters is uh, your your lifelong friend Dale underscore A calling from my other sanctuary, my car. You know, I drive and I listen to my D&D podcast and I try to, you know, prep to get in the mood for, uh, to be ready for fatherhood when I step through that door and uh, homework is uh, on fire on the dining room table. So uh, this week's episode, you know, I didn't get to watch the movie yet again, uh, but uh, the the, the, the watch list that you guys have uh, has me excited to uh, definitely see movies that uh, I would have not watched otherwise, and I'm pretty excited about that. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get my letterbox reviews fired up as soon as I watch them. You better believe um, that. And, you know, 1917 is, I can't wait to see it. It's a, it's a horror movie uh, through, I don't know what I'm saying there, but it reminds me of uh, a, a, a different kind of war. A war that was happening within David Ames's heart, <laughs> caught in an internal struggle of, of happiness. And uh, when he got into that car with Cameron Diaz, he definitely lost Penelope <laughs> Cruz. And uh, he was paying for it ever since. And that just reminded me of, you know, that struggle in, in Tom Cruise's Vanilla Sky. <laughs> Look for that on my uh, Letterboxd review just recently. <laughs> as well as uh, a couple other Tom Cruise movies that uh, were adjacent, if you will, 
the war uh, against crime using precognition, and uh, upcoming a war uh, in Samurai Shogun. I'm excited to see that one as well. Anyway, I love you guys, uh, and I'm really happy for you. And have a good recording tonight. I know this me me droning on like this is probably driving Slim crazy, as this is probably the third or fourth voicemail of the night, and uh, you know he likes to keep it tight. But uh, I love you. I love you all. Goodbye. Love you, Dale. What's going to be the first movie we review that Dale has actually seen? Interview with the podcast Vampire, I think, was what Dale was silently alluding to. Our Tom Cruise retrospective podcast. Ever heard of it? Uh, ever. <laughs> uh, there was one. Um, one of uh, someone left a voicemail. Catcher, uh, potentially right mm. out of the theater after seeing the movie Joker. Ooh. Hey guys, uh, it's Catcher. I just thought I'd call you guys because I just got out of Joker, and I'm all torn up about it. Uh, I'll save like my specific, way too long, uh, opinions for my letterbox review. But the movie has me left with sort of one question that I thought I would pose to you guys and see what kind of conversation stirs up. Uh, but basically, the question is, do you think you can disagree uh, with the message a film appears to be about and still call it a good film? Like, if a film is well-made, if it executes its tone and its message effectively, if everything works, the script, the acting, the cinematography, the music, if all of that stuff works, but you leave the theater feeling bad or or the film feels inappropriate does it make it a bad film and i'm just wondering what you guys think all right have a good one bye i actually thought about that a lot when i when i was sitting in joker i thought it was like competently directed and i thought it had shockingly good cinematography for being a todd phillips movie and i don't mean that as like a large insult but i mean historically he hasn't done movies that you would expect to be good looking um I mean, the set design was all beautiful. Everything about the movie looked really good and it seemed well made, but just the overall message, our current climate, you know, I I went in that movie thinking I wasn't going to feel that way, that like it was a dangerous movie, but honestly, I did feel like it was a dangerous movie. Um, I thought the message was just muddied in junk and that other movies have been made before it that was, that were way smarter, King of Comedy, um, I mean, Joaquin did a, a movie, You Were Never Really Here, um, that was way better and, you know, had a, a stronger message and was more eloquent. And I don't know, I think, so I guess to answer his question, I think it can be done. And it was a bad movie, even though I disagree, uh, Danny disagrees with me. Yeah, I, I you know, I agree with you um, that it can be, you can have these feelings of it's a great, a well-made movie, uh, perfectly acted and then come away feeling bad about the the story. I think that I think I did too to a degree. Um I obviously I uh, can't I I I I agree with the fact that it's a it's a weird thing to like this movie. Um I think my my review is based on Joaquin's performance alone and I really loved him in this movie. Uh there's a lot of scenes where I cringed at some of the stuff that was going on and cringed as in uh, I can't believe I'm watching mm-hmm. this happen. Um, and it did, it did, uh, stir up some, you know, feelings of this could happen to a degree in our society, even watching how it has happened on smaller scales. But, um, 
there is a danger to it. And I agree with that. Maybe I lower my stars, <laughs> but my stars are for Joaquin. If I just I can can't wait to see what Pluto thinks of this movie. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Uh, as the catcher's question, that's great. I, and I think, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that's like the age old question, right? Like, can, a uh, can you separate the art and the artist? Like kind mm. of, I feel like that's part, like part of the question, but then also, um, yeah, I think something can be set apart and be good, but I, th- there is a reality to a time and a place when something is released. And I think as an artist, as a creator, you can choose to do that. But with that does come, uh, you know, a responsibility or you will, you could be held accountable for that in the same mm-hmm. way that sometimes things are, movies are postponed uh, because of a, a world event in some way, or, um, you know, just in a way to just like honor the current time of something that happened. Like, you know what, this isn't the appropriate time to tell this story. All right, let's, uh, we got a few more to get to here. Let's see what we got. Hi, this is David with SearchEngineStartup.com, and we just received the information for your new website. <laughs> <laughs> we got a few spam messages. David called us a few times. <laughs> Thank you, David. David, thanks for the call. Uh, let us know your letterbox username. Oh. Hey, guys, this is Mikey P. I'm calling from the theater right now. I'm in the middle of 1917. This movie's unbelievable. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your thoughts about this, guys. Great work with the pod. Can't wait to fill out my letterbox review. Love you. Okay, okay. Uh, I wonder what scene he was calling during. That was a deleted scene. Final voicemail, and then we have one letter. Uh, This is from producer Ian calling in. Uh, Hey, guys. My name is Ian. Long-time listener, first-time caller here. Uh, I just want to see you guys are doing really good work. But I did have a question about the film 1917, which I believe you're talking about today. And my question for you guys, well, first of all, I say I did enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, but I did have a question as to whether or not there were points in times in the film where you guys thought the one take method uh, of the film worked against it. I think it happens twice in the movie. Once, uh, spoiler, right after George or the other guy dies. Uh, he turns around and all of a sudden there's a whole army of 300 people showing up at the barn, including people who had time to pee uh, on the barn, and they didn't see <laughs> any of this happening. Seemed a little weird. Uh, and then two, the river jump sequence. Um, that whole thing kind of took me out of it a little bit. So curious on your thoughts. Uh, good luck. Thanks. The first one that he says, uh, thanks for the call, Ian. It's great to Thank hear you. from you. Uh, that's actually the first moment where I felt taken out of it, where I did feel like it moved from one set to another because, you know, he dies in his arms, you know, they have this moment and then these soldiers appear and it's like, okay, that's all right. But then like behind them, there's this whole caravan of vehicles that you don't hear at all. Uh, they're right up against the building. It, it, yeah, to me that just didn't work. And that was actually the first moment where I felt like, oh wait, I'm watching a movie. I agree. I, there was a jarring, um, contrast to when that happens that uh you would have thought that they could have probably got there a little quicker and helped blake maybe i don't know but they were kind of on the spot real quick and i I, I agree there was a weird cut 
I definitely turned to Amanda and I was like, where do those soldiers come from? <laughs> and they try to <laughs> say we followed, we saw the plane crash or something and they came over, but, mm-hmm. and maybe, I don't know, maybe the, if we heard them coming, then it wouldn't have been as much of an emotional reaction mm-hmm. to Blake's death. The, the, the water scene, the only thing I don't like about the river jump sequence is that I, it, I don't know if it was CGI. It looked CGI-ish just because I guess he had a vision for how closely he was going to f- always follow these characters. And in order to maintain that connection, the camera had to be parallel to him as he jumped into the water at like all times and maintain yeah. like seven feet of distance. Um, so I feel like that was maybe a, a victim of the, the one take, you know, ideal. Thanks for the call, Ian. Welcome anytime. Uh, all right. Last letter here before we wrap up. Uh, this comes from a uh, friend of the show fam. Hey guys, first time, long time. Now that I, now that we have voicemails in the show, I actually vastly prefer voicemails cause I don't have to read letters, but mm. no offense to fam. First, first time, long time. Your discussion during the pilot episode about working at a video store reminded me of my time working at Blockbuster Video in high school, college. Bless. I worked there for so long that I started with VHS, then went to Laserdisc, and then to DVD. The biggest pain about VHS is no one rewound their tapes. So you would have a stack of movies that need to go into the rewind machine before they go back on the shelf. Danny is right that the biggest bummer for a customer is getting to the store and seeing the wall is empty on the movie they wanted. They would then stand next to the front desk for an hour asking 100 times (laughs) if anyone returned it. (laughs) The location of my blockbuster in Orlando was near where some celebrities lived. So people I would see periodically are Shaq, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Ken Griffey Jr., Tiger Woods, and Wesley Snipes. First of all, mm. taking a break from the letter, that's insane. <laughs> if those were the people that he used to see from time to time. All the time. <laughs> like, Come to Orlando. Uh, I've seen Shaq twice in, just randomly in restaurants. I just saw Shaq walk by your bedroom window just while <laughs> oh, you yeah. said that. Yeah. It's awesome. unreal. Uh, usually they would come right before close. So the store is basically empty and they would walk around freely. Yes. You could also see their rental history and see what they like to watch while blockbuster never carried any pornographic movies. We would always get a lot of movies that were incorrectly returned in the case. We would then have to call the customer to let them know that they gave us the wrong movie and come back to get their porn. The most memorable (laughs) one, the most memorable one was the time I had to call a pastor to come and get his copy of B words with the whips. <laughs> all in all, not a bad job. Great show, boys. And that comes from fam. Actually, B Thank words you, with the whips. That's based on a biblical part of the Old Testament. I don't think that's. Yeah. Like that. I don't think that's in the book of James anymore. I it's think a they, they removed Leviticus. that. Actually, he didn't say B words. I kind of cut that out just for future Thank note. You. That's actually not the real. If you want to Google you. that, you're going to have to use the actual explicit word, whatever that Thank may you. be. 1917 in the books. First official episode is done. Um, if you want to uh, get yourself a year of Letterboxd Pro account, again, sign up for Letterboxd to begin with. It's free. It's amazing. Be friends with us. You can follow us. Uh, we'll follow you. Um, but share the show post with Danny's fancy art. I've already seen, we've already seen Danny's mm. art for this episode. It's amazing. Unbelievable. It's unreal. He's just, you just outdo yourself every week. I don't know how it's possible. You guys push me <laughs> to be a better artist. <laughs> Uh, thank you for the credit. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, next episode, the Safties. Good time. Good time. We're coming bah, bah, back bah, to bah. the Safties. Danny has not seen Uncut Gems yet, but we're going. We're starting in reverse. 
soon. Is with this your when, when's, This could be your maiden voyage with the Safties. With the Safties? <gasps> uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know what they did before that. Do you believe? I think they just. This is their. They only have three movies. They did a bunch of. I think they did a bunch of shorts. Chuck, uh, friend of the show, Chuck just rewatched one of their other movies. I saw. I think it's like Dad's Story or something like that. He gave it three stars. Chuck, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck might be on a future episode. Talk about that love David Cronenberg uh, movie. Can I? Let me just oh read. I just want to read the solicit for that movie again, just because it blew my mind. Nineteen ninety six. David Cronenberg. That's all in our letterbox list for this season. After getting into a serious car accident, a TV director discovers an underground subculture of scarred, omnisexual car crash victor- victims who use car accidents and the raw sexual energy they produce to try to rejuvenate his sex life with his wife. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Starring David Spader. <laughs> oh my God. Lord have mercy. I mean, how have we never heard of this movie? This is unreal. It gets overshadowed by the other one. The other crash, yeah. Yeah. In front of the show, Ren Mike D thought he was watching this crash, but he was watching the uh, <laughs> the other one that won the Oscar. He gave that one star. All right, we got to wrap up. I don't know if we're going to have a send off. Maybe I'm going to add the audio of the VHS coming out of the player, potentially, to wrap up <laughs> the show. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, but if not, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Seventy Millimeter is produced by Ian DeBorha and sponsored by Half Double Design. Original artwork provided by Danny Haas. Spiritual guidance provided by Protolexis. This episode was mixed and edited by myself, Slim. Special thanks to the good people at Letterboxd for a chance to win a pro Letterbox account. Share the new episode post every Monday on Twitter or Instagram. Connect with us on social media under at 70mmpod.com and follow along using the links in our show notes. Goodbye.